Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Principle number three is emotional impact. Now, this is about the emotions that you are personally feeling, that she is feeling, and most importantly, the blend or the interaction between your emotional states. Most men are not particularly emotionally available or emotionally mature or able to access a wide range of emotions. Unfortunately, the the emotions that most men are most easily able to access are things such as anger, frustration, moodiness, because generally we're not taught how to express them in in a healthy way and in a way that allows us to express uh, deeper aspects of ourselves. So much of the work that I have done personally on myself and that I do with my clients is to do, is to do with coming to terms with themselves as an emotional being. So many of my clients are very, very intelligent, cerebral men. These are guys who are engineers, software guys, finance guys, lawyers, doctors, guys who have to live in a space for many hours a day where they are only thinking in facts and figures where they have to be very precise with their thoughts, precise with their words. There's no room for artistry, for uh, improvisation, for being creative or just fucking things up and playing with things to see what happens. Because when you're an engineer, you can't just like have a little bit of a feel about how you think the bridge might stay up and just like kind of like roll with the flow. You have to make sure that everything is perfect or the bridge falls down and people die. So. I understand you know, why, why it is that many of my clients struggle with this. But if you're a guy in this position, most of the guys watching these videos will be, uh, who spend a lot of time in their, which one is it, right brain or left brain? I can't remember, the one that's all about analytics. Then it's very important that you counterbalance that by learning more about yourself emotionally. You're gonna have to cry sometimes. I do it sometimes. It's not a pussy thing to do. It's, it's very healthy because if you don't cry once a month or so, it means that you'll have a heart attack. Yeah, it means that you'll be under extreme amounts of pressure and that you'll eventually, you'll, it'll spurt out in all sorts of nasty ways with, with anger, with self-destructive behavior, with addictions, right? If you're not able to express sorrow, the, the beauty of being alive, the, the rawness of being a human and having this human experience, if you're not able to access that, then you're just not living, right? You're not getting the full experience of being a human being. And that's a really tragic thing because we don't get to do it more than once, as far as I know. You get to do it once and then you die. So if you're gonna do it, experience as much of it as you can. So in this, if we bring it back to Liz, was there emotional impact there? Yeah, there was. There could have been more, right? But there was because I was there with her and I was looking at her and I was, we're sharing this little moment about the, okay, we, we both have the feeling about the, the pauper ointment and we know that it's like an addiction that we have and we need it and it's, it's a fun little thing and we're sharing a little emotional moment there. And then I ask what she's doing and she's going to go and uh, buy some CDs. Now, what I could have done there is I could have dug a little bit more into her emotional space. I said, oh, what kind of music do you like? And she says, reggae and I think whatever it was, reggae and retro rock, something like that. And I went, wow, cool, yeah, nice. Actually, I play in a band. Now, what I did then was I opened the door into her emotional world 
and then I closed it in her face straight away. So I opened it and I said, what, what's, what's something that you care about? Because music, people don't listen to music because it's a logical thing to do, right? People don't listen to music to get, to get it done. You don't sit down and go, well, well, I've got to listen to five songs today, so let's you know, get them done, do my homework, unless you're, I don't know, unless you're studying music in some weird, not very fun music school. Why do people listen to music? They listen to it not to get to the end of the song, but to experience the song or the, or the piece of music, to be there in the moment as each m note changes. Uh, and most, you know, mostly it's the, the shitty version where it's whoa, whoa, of modern music, which is machine generated to just like jerk your emotions around uh, based on what they know uh, is the simplest and most fucking saccharine and awfully trashy version of music, which is most, mostly what most music is today, but it still is an emotional thing. There's that interesting thing in the book 1984 where the, the, the proletariat, I'm really getting off tangent here, but it's too late, I'm already there. The proletariat woman is singing the song that was generated by a machine. It was just spat out by a machine, but she manages to make it alive. Right? So it's a really fucking tragically beautiful moment in that book. I'm there. You're there. You're thinking about it. People who are like never read a book before are like, what is the, who is this guy? The point being that what I should have done or could have done there is said some, asked her something more about the music. So oh, what, what got you into reggae? Or oh, why are you into that? Or, or I could have asked more. I said, oh, what's, what's an artist you're into? And let's, okay, she says, whatever, Bob Marley. And in, again, this is not deep enough. If I said, oh, what, what's your favorite reggae artist? And she says, I love Bob Marley. Again, if I go, oh, yeah, nice, Bob Marley. Yeah. Again, I've just shut the door in her face. If I just said, ah, what's it, what, what do you, when's the time you like to listen most to it? Or do you do it, do you listen like to him when you're chilling or when you're moving or what's it like? Something where I'm, where I'm starting to now get into what's her experience of Bob Marley like? And then if she'd say, well, you know, like on a Sunday, I like to roll a joint and uh, sit on, you know, sit out on my back garden and just, you know, just chill and, uh, you know, eat fruit and listen to Bob Marley. It's, it's my, my special time, which sounds pretty good, right? Right now? Yeah, sounds pretty good. And that, okay, now we would have been in her emotional space. I would have led her imagination and her feelings into a space where she's there. And I was the one who triggered that. That's pretty valuable, right? Now, and then I could have related to that and said, oh yeah, you know, I find, I, just, I don't have to agree. I said, oh, you know, I find like with death metal, I kind of get, which is not, I don't listen to death metal, but I could have said, you know, I find with death metal, it's like, for me, even though it's really, really hard music, I find it really relaxing because it's like I let out all of my aggression, all of my like frustrations. And then after like I've been smashing my head around for a bit, I'm just like totally in the Zen zone. That's, I just made that up. It's not my, my, not my truth, but that would be in a way that we could have gotten used music as the avenue to find out more about each other, to be able to elicit emotions and then blend them and share them. Now we have a shared emotional experience, right? So in that situation, I started going there, could have, could have gotten deeper and then lost it. Fourth principle, pressure and release. Now this is my favorite principle. This is the one that if you were to look at my specific style of seduction and you, and you break it down, look at my infield videos, or if you see me in field, this is the aspect that I like to uh, leverage the most. And it's not, not everyone does that. Uh, I, know, I know other kinds of guys who their seduction style is more 
playful, more on the emotional impact side. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's not so heavy in the pressure and release, but for me, this really works. And I found that with clients over the years, this tends to be the principle that has the most drastic change uh, and the fastest change in their lives because so many of the guys that I work with are really nice, are very pleasant people, kind, uh, accommodating. They don't want other people to feel uncomfortable around them. And as a result, they exhibit lots of nice guy traits, which are smiling and nodding, yeah? validating. Oh, wow, cool. And I was doing that right early sometimes in this interaction. She's like, oh, I'm going to shop to buy some CDs. Oh, nice. Sweet. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Great. Yeah. Uh, nice. Uh, mate. Yeah. Right. So I'm validating and letting her off the hook constantly, which makes her feel kind of comfortable because there's no pressure, but it doesn't make her want to chase me. It doesn't create any intrigue. It doesn't create any sexual tension. So if you want to flip the script where most of the time a man is trying to impress a girl or trying to chase a girl, right? Or trying to get her attention. And he does that by showing like what I did. Oh, I've got a band just in case you think that's cool, right? Or, or saying, oh, wow, that's really interesting. And that's a common mistake when a, girl, a guy meets a girl who has something slightly interesting in her life. He says, oh, what are you doing? She says, oh, I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher. Wow, that's cool. Nice, sweet. Nice, cool, nice, sweet. Sweet, nice, cool. Great, wait, great, nice, sweet, cool, wow. Or any combination of those. She's like, yeah, okay. I mean, I did a six-week yoga course and now I teach at the local yoga studio for $15 an hour, three times a week. So, yeah. And the guy's like, got a PhD. <laughs> we get that all the time. Guys who come to me who, have, who are extremely high-level specialists who have spent you know, a decade or more honing their craft and then they meet a girl who says she's a photographer and they're like, wow, that's amazing. Is it? Do you know what a photographer is these days? It's someone with an iPhone 10 who knows how to like do Snapchat filters slightly better than other people and knows some, some angles and then goes, hashtag photography life, yeah, Dutch. Right? So don't be that impressed when a girl says that she's a anything, anything, unless she says I won the Nobel Peace Prize. Then be like, whoa. Nice, sweet, wow, cool, babe, yes. Don't do that even. Just be like, oh, yeah, which year did you, <laughs> which, uh, which year did you do that? Oh, uh, yeah, it's kind of, wasn't, wasn't a lot of competition that year, right? Hmm. Don't, don't, just, you know, that's not going to happen. No one's meeting any women who have won Nobel Peace Prizes, are they? Unless you've met that one from Burma, and I don't think she deserved it. Anyway, point B, did I use pressure and release in this interaction very well? Mostly not. I was validating, I was like, yeah, cool, letting off the hook too easy. But I did use it powerfully at the beginning, right? When I pulled out my pauper ointment and I rolled, it, rolled off the lid and I looked at her, for a moment she's like, what is this? Is this guy being really creepy? Is this, I mean, she's probably not thinking these words, but she's like, okay, there's this tension here. Because we've locked eyes and I'm doing this and then I take it out and I put it on my lips, tension is building. Now the nature of all tension, as far as I can see in the universe, is that it has to reach a resolution. If you think about anything that you do or that happens in the natural world around you that creates pressure, eventually that pressure's got to release somewhere, right? Now, in seduction, there is two types of pressure. There is negative pressure and positive pressure. Negative pressure is awkward shit, right? So that's like, if, I, if I'm like staring at a girl 
weirdly and she notices me and then I'm like, keep staring at her. She's like, uh, I don't like this pressure. This is creepy and weird. And what's she going to do? She's not going to come over and say, excuse me, probably not. Um, that's creepy and weird. She's just going to get the fuck away from you. Right. And this is, this is men do this commonly in bars. They see the girl and then they start to kind of hover around her. And sometimes you'll see like four or five men just like hovering nearby a girl, kind of waiting for, trying to figure out what's their angle or getting drunk and thinking about it. And she knows, right? She's, women are very aware in their periphery of men's attention because they get it all the time if they're attractive. And they know when, when they're a bar, ah, those guys are like looking at me and or my, me and my girlfriends and they're trying to figure out a way to talk to us. And you've already lost, right? At that point, there's, no, there's nothing attractive about that unless you are like stupendously beautiful uh, or have very, very high status because you're the whatever DJ or something, then she might, you might get away with that. But if you're a normal dude in the bar and you're, you're looking at her and standing near her and kind of figuring out when and how to do this, it's already over, right? So just go home, right? Because it's negative pressure. She goes, oh, this dude looking at us. Uh, Cindy, check it out. Uh, yeah, okay, let's go. And then as the guy finally gets the courage to move over, he doesn't go and talk to her directly. He kind of like moves over and stands next to her at the bar. She, as he's doing that, she's moving away. You've probably had that experience. So that's negative. That's an example of negative pressure. Positive pressure is where you've locked in with somebody. They've committed enough that they feel like they need to be there or they want to be there. And the tension holds the person in place right and you know you can do this you go up to someone in the street and you say listen I don't want to cause any trouble and this is one thing that Sasha Daygame used to do is one of his precursors or one of his preframes to his funny um, wind-ups is he would say that that line and often I'd be sitting at a cafe with with Sasha and the wait waitress would come over and he'd say now listen I don't want any trouble and and then there'd be this pause I'm like no Sasha don't do this don't do this cringe <laughs> He's like, and she's like, uh, yeah, I just want a cup of green tea, right? So what he's doing in that moment is he's, he's breaking the person out of that little, the social script of the girl coming over and going, hi there, can I help you? And you go, yes, please. Can I, can I, can I get a cup of green tea? Certainly, sir. Um, would you mind if I get a slice of lemon with that? Uh, and if it's in America, they'd like to say, certainly I'll go out and I will take it off an organic tree and I'll slice it into, um, the shape of your face if you'd like. Um, and if you do it in Eastern Europe, they'd be like, no. And you're like, can't, no, okay, fine. So instead, he's fucking with that, with that social scripting, which is releasing pressure across the board, and he's just putting tension in. Now, because she's the waitress, and because he said it in a charming way, and because he's, sm he's smiling at the same time, she stays, right? He doesn't, it doesn't happen where she walks over and he says, listen, you're in fucking big trouble, bitch. That's, that would be way too heavy pressure. And she'd be like, uh, excuse me. And she'd walk over to a manager and then we'd get kicked out of the place, right? So it's not about being aggressive. It's not about trying to be domineering. The use of pressure in these ways creates this tension, which when it's released, and in this case of Sasha going, I'd like a green tea, thank you. It's a relief and it's funny, hopefully. That's the point of it. So in this situation with Liz, that's what I do. There's a tension. And then I release the tension by going, it's kind of like cocaine for your lips or whatever it was that I said. And she's like, oh yes, totally. He's not creepy and weird. He's not just staring at me with this oiling his lips up. It, oh, it's, he, he got it. It was a joke, 
right? And then there's this release of tension, which has a, an emotional impact. Pressure release blends into emotional impact. In fact, all of the principles, they're not separate, right? They're not like I do one and then I do the other. Sometimes they're sequential, but really, when we get really deep, they're all part of one. What are we gonna call that one? I don't know, someone think of their name for that, put it in the... So, pressure release, I did a little, that did that one moment really, really well, but then I released it, released it. And then at the end, when I went for the close with the, my lame email, come to my band close, I'm just losing tension, right? So I'm like, oh, so yeah, do you, if you, maybe you want to come to my band sometime, maybe, you know, I, I mean, don't want to put any pressure on you. Uh, and like I could get the softest, like least personal contact detail that you've got, if that's okay. Tension just dropping, emotional impact dropping, respect for male obliterated, right? That's really where I'm losing it. Okay, so you can see here how my lack of understanding of pressure and release led to her at the end going, eh, nah. Whereas up until that point, she was like, eh, maybe. So let's look at the final principle. The fifth principle of natural seduction, according to me, is trigger pulling. Now I've, I called it trigger pulling for years and I've, in recent times I've started calling it decisiveness. I think that's better. Trigger pulling kind of insinuates that you've got one shot at this, that there is like a certain moment and you have to get it exactly right. Whereas I think the, the understanding of decisiveness is much better. What this comes down to essentially is ownership of your desire and the ability to make a decision to put that out into the world without needing validation or permission in advance, right? So unfortunately, there has been trillions of times throughout the history of mankind when a woman wanted to fuck a man and she didn't get to because the man didn't make a decision or didn't make, his, didn't make it happen, right? And, and like so many times I've talked to, I've talked to girls about this a lot, uh, situations where they're like, you know, I was, at a party and then I had this vibe with the guy and then we and everyone ended up kind of crashing on the floor and we were next to each other on a mattress and you know, I was just like, just please, please, please touch me and he didn't and then you know, the next day he kind of like half asked me out and uh, the vibe just wasn't there anymore and so I didn't do it. Or like all sorts of variations on this. And it's a tragedy because there's all of these potential timelines of great sex or just even average sex that could have happened and just didn't happen. And people go throughout their entire life and it means they miss out on half or 60 or 70 or 80% of the sex that they could have had. And that is a tragedy, I think. There's all that lost sex that just is never gonna get come back. It's sad. And so much of the time, it wasn't because the guy needed to do some special convoluted thing. He needed to impress the girl. He needed to be a superman. It's just because he didn't ask her out. He didn't say, hey, do you wanna come upstairs? He didn't say, uh, Liz, listen, you seem really cool. Can I get your mobile phone number? Because that's what we just got a mobile phone. Zero, what does it start with zero four in Australia? Right? It's like Liz and I could have had sex. If, in, if, I, if instead of me going, oh, maybe the email and the gig and the something, if, if, if in the end I just said, hey, do you want to like grab a coffee sometime? Genius, right? Amazing. She probably would have said, yeah, all right. And I'll say, oh, we'll get your number then. <laughs> so that's what I did wrong there, right? I'm sure, I'm sure most of you would realize this by now, that 
instead of me just owning the fact that I think this girl's cute, we've got a cool vibe. Um, yeah, I've got a band, so what? Who cares? Uh, yeah, she likes reggae and I kind of like reggae. Yeah, so what? We can listen to reggae and smoke a joint after we've had sex or during sex. Yeah, that sounds good. But because I was like, I need to, to like figure out some way that, it, you know, some smooth way to kind of get her in and impress her with my what funky band or, you know, all that nonsense. It, that's where I lost the power. That's where I lost the attraction. That's where she realized that she just felt like, nah, 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 just don't want to do it anymore. So that was the, the, the primary mistake with Liz. That, that's, that's what led to this tragedy that still 10 years later, uh, I'm still thinking about it, was just that I couldn't own it at that moment. I couldn't just look her in the eyes and say, hey, listen, you seem really cute. Or even just say, hey, and done it badly and said, do you want to just get a coffee sometime? Way better to just blurt out badly, let's get coffee or tea or do you want to go for a walk or anything? Just put your, put your expression of desire out there. And that I feel is the biggest damage uh, that the mystery method or the indirect styles did to men was that the implication, even if the techniques are kind of interesting and even if they, there's a kind of an interesting understanding of human psychology behind some of the, the methodology, the presupposition of all indirect game is girls don't like you. No woman would just want to be with you, right? So you need to do all this convoluted, fucking backwards compliments and showing disinterest and all of this nonsense to get her to a point where she's kind of tricked into liking you, right? Because the presupposition is like, of course she's not going to like you straight away or of course she won't, won't want to fuck you if you just show her that you want to fuck her. Uh, of course, she's not going to just go on a date with you if you just ask her on a date. Of course not. Look at you. Look at you. No one's going to just go on a date with you. That's the presupp presupposition behind all the indirect styles. And that's a really bad mindset, really bad mindsets to carry around, really uh, ineffective belief structures. And it leads to uh, this watered down, unclear uh, decision making process. The decisiveness, the trigger pulling just can't be there when you, you think that trigger pulling or being decisive is not gonna work. Trust me guys, I have pulled the trigger many, many times and it didn't always work, yeah. I mean, many times it didn't work, but many times it did. And all of the times when I and I tried to like do some waffling indirect thing, it led to situations like this with Liz. All of the times when I've listened in on uh, interactions, thousands of interactions that I've listened and watched from students. Anytime they're like, oh, so you're, you're reading that book and oh yeah, I'm interested in that book. And yeah, like uh, maybe you wanna like, I don't know, sit, we can meet up sometime and have a chat about the whatever, any of that excuses, bullshit stuff, it almost never ever works. And the problem is that occasionally that works because the girl just wanted to screw you anyway. And so she was, if you invited her in any way to do anything, she was gonna do it, right? So that's where you get these false positives, where a guy says, well, hang on, no, I used an indirect thing once and it worked. Yeah, that's because basically anything would have worked that day because that girl just liked you or because she was desperate or because she was really horny or because she wanted to get revenge on her boyfriend or something. So that's the fool's mate. Don't be fooled by that. What I've always been looking for is not what can sometimes work on, under certain circumstances. The whole reason that I, dissected this thing and boiled it down to universals was to find out what is most likely to work most of the time. What consistently works across cultures, across demographics, across age ranges. 
right? This stuff works. The five principles, when applied by a man and internalized under any circumstances, will start to work. Of course, it doesn't, it's not magic. It's not like, okay, do those five things and every single girl's gonna jump into your bed. But these are the mechanisms that actually work. Trust me. Never trust someone who says, trust me. <laughs> anyway, I hope that you've found this video enjoyable and most importantly, useful. This video I feel is a very important one. It's giving you a clear foundation of what the five principles are. And through this story of the love of my life lost, Liz, I hope that you uh, can see how it works in real time. And that's all I have time for. This is James Marshall reporting from my villa in Portugal. See you in the next video. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The Natural TV. See you on the next episode.